The following audio is from Harvest Fellowship. For more information about Harvest Fellowship, visit harvestabq.org. Um, hey, I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you about something before we get into the message. Um, we, for, this has been like the longest thing ever, but um, literally the Sunday before the world shut down <laughs> because of COVID, we announced something called All In. Uh, if you're out by the coffee station, you see a little thing on the wall that says All In, and there's some some uh, visuals there that that kind of illustrate some of the dreams that we have uh, to renovate our building, to be able to do uh, ministry, you know, at a higher level. And and, um, and I, I finally have some updates. I'm so excited. It has just taken forever to get to this place. I hope you haven't given up hope. Uh, so I have some exciting announcements. Uh, the first is this, is that this last week, we officially applied with the city of Albuquerque for a permit for the first phase of our remodel. We don't know how long that will take. A few of you in the room that work with the city, I can just see on your face. It's okay. Listen, we took the next step, okay? So pray with us uh, that that moves through the city quickly and we're able uh, to take the, to be able to begin the project. The first phase um, is that we're going to actually, you may not know it, but uh, upstairs kind of behind this uh, area and behind this area, we have some room. We're going to, we're demoing that out. In fact, we can actually start the demo now that we've applied for the permit. So we're going to demo that out. We're going to remodel that into our offices. Our offices right now are way too small and they're downstairs kind of right out here and so we're going to move all of our offices up there there's a, a little picture of that is this wing right over here so that's our offices and then there's some more that will go that way we'll have conference rooms a studio that's where we'll do all of our our media and our streaming and all that kind of stuff so we'll move that up there and what I'm really excited about is once we move that uh, upstairs this entire area that's outside of this wall where our offices are uh, and our nurseries. We're going to relocate. We're going to literally open all of that up and and create a gigantic lobby space. I don't know if you've noticed on Sunday mornings, we just do not have uh, a good lobby space. We're going to, we're going to blow all that out. And there's a cafe uh, at the back. That's Justin Serrano's favorite part because he loves coffee. So we're going to have a cafe uh, there. And so that's, that's what's coming. That's what we applied uh, with the city this week. And so as soon as we uh, get that permit, we're going to get going on that. But in in the meantime, I have another announcement, and this one we don't have to wait on a permit. So I'm really excited. Um, you know, as we dreamed about um, the, the the remodel and and the order to do it in, it's kind of tricky because we're living in the building while we're you know while we're doing it, and so we weren't sure uh, how to do the order. And uh, a couple of months ago, I just sensed that the Lord was was stirring my heart to rethink the order a little bit, and so met with our staff, met with the board. Uh, and we've made the decision that we're actually going to start in our youth room, all right? And I'm, I'm excited about that because I'm excited about the things that are happening right now in uh, our youth. Pastor Angie and Madison are just doing a phenomenal job, and our, our youth group is growing. We're taking a gigantic group to youth camp this summer. Uh, they're getting ready for squad in the fall. There's so many things happening. And I was talking to Lisa one day, and I said, you know, I just wonder what would happen if I could just pour a little bit of gasoline on the 
the fire of what's happening in the hearts of our youth. And I feel like one of the ways we can do that is by renovating their space, giving them a better space uh, for youth ministry. And so if you don't know, some of you don't even know where the youth room is. It's at the far back part of our building. Uh, It's one of the oldest parts of our building that has never, it's literally never been renovated. And so um, I'm going to ask for your help, okay? So here's the good news. We already have the funds to do this, so I'm not taking up an offering today. How many think that's a, that's a good thing, right? So we've planned, we've prepared, we're ready for it financially, but I'd love for your help physically. So here's what we're going to do is in two weeks on Sunday, June the 4th, when service gets out, just bring some work clothes with you to church. And when service gets out, um, we're going to provide lunch. You can change into your work clothes and then we're going to go, we're going to move everything out of the room. We're going to rip the carpet out. We're going to tear walls down. We're going to tear cabinets out of the bathrooms. We're going to just go to work. We're going to do as much demos we can. We'll have a giant dumpster sitting outside. Um, we've actually, uh, we talked to Andrew and Madison. They're, they're actually going to do youth that night, but just not in that room. They're going to do it in another room. They're going to spend some time dreaming about. So exciting. And I think this is just going to be a step that's going to accelerate what God's doing. And so I hope that you'll come and to be a part of that. Does that sound exciting to you? Yeah. All right. I'm excited. All right. I don't care if you are or not. We're in a different family is both awesome and difficult. Would you agree with that? I mean, there is sometimes like in the same hour, right? In the same hour, you could be like, I have the best family in the world. And, and by the end of that hour, you're like, I will kill them with my own two hands, right? Like, I mean, it just goes both ways. And so we wanted to take a little bit of time because the Bible has a lot to say on this topic, a lot that can help us in this area. And so we're spending a few weeks, we're learning about how to family from God's word, which by the way, um, Pastor Lisa killed it last week. Did she not? Just absolutely amazing. I have not been able to get her on the calendar for a follow-up, but I'm working on it. Y'all help me with that. All right. Um, I, I want you to know um, from last week's message uh, on Hannah that we're continuing to pray with those of you that, that really you responded and asking God for breakthrough in your family. And especially if you're here, you'll remember this. There was a, a piece of that story that we really keyed, on in, uh, keyed in on uh, where Hannah went through things year after year. Do you remember that? I was curious if you would respond, but you didn't. It's okay. Uh, year after year, and I know some of you that, that you came to the altar, you, you, you stepped out in faith, you believed God for that transformation, and maybe it appeared that this week that nothing has changed, but I just want you to know, it changes in the spiritual realm first before it changes in the physical, and so often the things are changing, but they're in the realm that you cannot see with your physical eyes, so don't be discouraged today. Know that we're standing with you, we're believing with you, we're, we're asking God to continue to do a miracle in your life. Today, I want to continue on a question that I posed on week one of this series, which is this, what are we passing on to the next generation? What are we passing on? I want to continue along that theme. Help me see if you can finish these phrases that we sometimes use to talk about how similar a child might be to their parents. So see if you can help me with this. We might look at someone and say, well, they're a chip off the old block, not O-L-D-O-L-E, right? The old block, a chip off the old block. We, we might look at, at a son and this father and we'd say, like father, like we look at a daughter and a mother, and we say, like mother, like, 
and I know you're going to know this one, sometimes you look at a child and you look at their parents and you say, well, that's proof that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. All of these have this in common. They speak to the idea that because of something that we know now as genetics, that there's a high probability that a child will share strong similarities to their parents. Now, this can happen in a number of categories, maybe things like physical traits. Maybe if, a, if there's a tall mom or a tall dad, there's a high probability that, that their children are going to be tall, right? If there's a short mom or short dad, there's a high probability they're going to have some short children, right? Um, This plays into things like curly hair, straight hair, or even no hair, right? That's right. I saw Jeff. I I have some no hairs in my family, all right? And so I remember as a teenager, I remember studying, you know, uh, uh, the the genetics because I was trying to figure out, uh, does this pass through the mom's side of the family or the dad's side of the family? Because the no hair is on the dad's side of my family. And so I, I, was, I was encouraged because it came from the mom's side, and all the guys on my mom's side still had hair. And so I won the lottery. I still have some hair, but my brother didn't. I don't know what happened with that, but I always thought he was adopted anyway. So, all right. Color of eyes, smile, all these physical attributes, right? You, you, you look at a mom, a dad, you, you can see the physical attributes. You also can see it in like personality traits, right? Um, often if, if mom and dad are, are like super friendly, super outgoing, you, you'll see children that are modeling those same type of things. You, you might, I, I sometimes will notice how my kids, it's not just what they say, it's how they say something. I'm like, oh, they have heard us say that before. And they carry these similarities, these, 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 these personality traits, the, the way they laugh, the way they carry themselves, the way they, they treat other people. All of this is passed down from one generation to the next through something called genes, through genetics. Now, experts tell us that there are between 60 and 100,000 genes in a human being's 46 chromosomes. So when a baby is born, when a baby's formed in the mother's womb, the baby gets 23 chromosomes from mom, 23 chromosomes from dad. Each of those contains 60 to 100,000 genes in each of those. And so kind of an interesting fact that I learned as I was preparing for this is that with all of those possible gene combinations, you put all of that together, one pair of parents has the ability to produce 64 64 trillion different combinations of children. So sometimes I have three kids. Some of you have two, three, four, five. Sometimes this will happen in your family. I look at our kids. I think they both came out of Lisa and I. They both grew up in the same environment. How can they be so different? Have you ever thought that? Well, now you know there were 64 trillion different ways for you and your spouse to produce a child. And that's the ones, that's the two or three that God gave you. And if you kept having more kids, they'd keep coming out just a little bit different, but they're all going to carry some similarities from one generation to the next. Genetics is the scientific explanation for the phrase that I had you say earlier, the apple doesn't fall far 
from the tree. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. That's what I want us to talk about today. It's actually the title of our message today. That's what I want us to explore is the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I want to pause and pray. We've got a lot going on today. Kids lesson, baptisms, worship, amazing things. But listen, at Harvest, we take this time where we open up God's word very, very serious. We believe that God's word is living, it's active, it's powerful. And every week, if we'll, if we'll let it, if we'll listen, God's word has something to say for every single person. Listen, whatever your family looks like today, whatever that dynamic is, God has something for you today. And I don't know about you, but I don't just want to go to church. I don't want to just check the box. I don't want to just get through this and go home and have a good lunch. I want for God to change our lives today. How many of you want that as well? And so one of the ways that we do this is we just pause to to 20-second prayer and we just open our hearts. I I do encourage you. This is is very individual. You have to do it yourself. Would you open your heart to what God has for you and for your family today? So let's do that right now. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that today that your word has promises that are going to help families that are in this room, that are watching online. So we just pause. We open our hearts. We ask you to speak to us here today transform our lives, do something in our families today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Our uh, middle daughter, Ava, had a surgery this week. Uh, The name officially of the surgery is lapidus bunionectomy, okay? What that means is that on her foot, she had a bunion, uh, and because of the bunion, it was pushing her toe, and and it was causing some pain, and so we've been watching it for a number of years, and the doctors said, we want to make sure the foot stops growing. Once it stops growing, we'll want to do surgery, and if we do it right, she won't have this pain. The rest of her life, we'll be able to fix it. And so not too long ago, we took her in for a follow-up. Doctor looked and said, we're gonna, it's time. The foot has stopped growing. Let's do the surgery. Scheduled the surgery. So poor girl. Um, last day of school was Wednesday. And on Thursday morning, bright and early, she was at the hospital to have this surgery. The doctor was looking at her foot just before uh, in the pre-op appointment. And the doctor said to her, said, she's 15 years old, said, you you don't get this bad of a bunion at 15 years old without it being hereditary. And she looked at, uh, the doctor looked at Ava and said, who gave this to you? Okay. <laughs> who, whose fault is this? It, it's the idea, the apple didn't fall far from the tree. I'm going to spare you this, but if I showed you a picture of Ava's foot, and then I showed you a picture of my dad's foot, you would know exactly where she got it because the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. My uncle Hal, who is my dad's brother sent a text this week following Ava's surgery. He included a picture of his feet. I will also spare you that today. And he, his, oh, it's so bad, y'all. It's so bad. And he, with the picture of his feet, he said, I think I know where Ava got her crooked toeitis. That's what he called it, crooked toeitis. It just means he has a bunion and his toe is crooked because of that. And I was texting with him, and I was ready to blame my dad uh, for Ava's bunions. But in texting with my Uncle Hal, I found out that my grandmother, which is Ava's great-grandmother, also had bunions. And I also found out that her mom had bunions. And so if you're not following the Dickinson family tree of crooked toes, it goes like this. Ava got them from her grandfather that traces back to the 
great-great-grandmother that traces back to the great-great-grandmother. And truthfully, if we had pictures of our Dickinson feet further back, it probably would go further as well. Are you following me? The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Now, the reality is that right now in your life, in your family, that there are probably things that trace back in a very similar way. And now I'm not talking about bunions any longer. Now I'm talking about something that we read about in the Bible that would be considered generational curse, generational sin, generational dysfunction. I'm talking about life-controlling things, like, like for example, substance abuse. Uh, I often will talk with someone who is battling alcoholism, and in talking to them and asking them questions, I'll find out that they're struggling with it, and that their parents struggled with it, and that their grandparents struggled with it, and that their great-grandparent struggled with it. And so, so, so this, is, this is what I'm talking about, is there are things like hair color and bunions and height and whatnot that can be traced back through a family tree. But there are also some much more serious things that can be traced back because what happens in the instance that I mentioned is that the enemy will actually develop what is called a stronghold in your family's life. The dictionary just uh, defines stronghold as a place that has been fortified so as to protect it against attack. A place where a particular belief is strongly held. The idea is that at some point, if you could trace your family tree, someone somewhere began to struggle with something. And that thing got passed to the next generation. And as that happened, that belief became fortified in your family and it passed to the next generation and it got a little bit stronger and a little bit more strongly held and a little bit more fortified and by the time it gets to you that belief that that dysfunction that sin has been fortified generation after generation after generation it has been passed down from one family member to the next. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, it says, The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish, here's the word, strongholds. I want to encourage you today because even as I've started to talk about this, some of you have already begun to assess your life and you've thought back and you've thought things like, boy, if I could go back and talk to great-grandmother or great-grandfather, I would ask them why they started this pattern that has passed down four generations and now I'm battling it and now my kids, i got to figure this out. This is why it's important. i got to figure this out for the next generation. I want to encourage you today that 2 Corinthians tells us that we have weapons to tear down strongholds, to tear down places that have been fortified over years, over decades, over generations. That I'm telling you that today what's going to happen at the end of the service is that some of you are going to come to the altar and that strongholds are going to come into contact with the Spirit of God and they're going to be torn down. And today, a new family tree can begin for some of your families. As we look back, one of the... As we look back at strongholds, I think about things like divorce. It's pretty... Crazy how often Lisa and I will be talking with a couple who's considering divorce or recently divorced, and in our interview, we'll, we'll look back and we'll find out that divorce has been passed down generationally. 
Often in our pre-marriage counseling, we do an assessment to figure out on both husband and wife's side is, are your parents still married? Are your grandparents still married? Things like this. Because we've learned that often when a family decides to go that route and they get divorced, they begin a curse, a dysfunction that ends up being passed down generationally. I'm just telling you, there's a lot at stake Today, I'll show it to you in the Bible. This has been a long-held belief that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. In John chapter 9, verse 1, uh, the disciples and Jesus, they, they see a blind man. And it actually says the, that this man was blind from birth. And the disciples looked at Jesus and they asked this question, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? Right? That it was this idea that there's there got to be some kind of dysfunction that was passed down generationally. So it brings me to this question. This is the question I want you to really wrestle with today. Can your family tree be changed? Can your family tree be changed? I'm not talking about bunions or hair color. I'm talking about the spiritual things that have passed down from generation to generation. Can your family tree be changed. So what do we do? What do we do with these generational curses, with these dysfunctions, with this sin? Well, first of all, I, I want to start with this. Uh, there's three common responses that I see uh, uh, men and women taking. And the first one is this, is that often I see that people just accept them. <laughs> they just accept that this is the way it's going to be. This person says, this is how it's always been, and this is how it will always be. This person understands their genetic predisposition, and they just accept it. They throw their hands in the air in defeat. They don't believe there's anything that they can do to change this, and they resign themselves to the idea that this, whatever this is, is how it will always be. There's a story in 1 Kings chapter 17 I want to show you that I think illustrates this. There's a, a drought that's happening in the land at the time of this story. And God sends the prophet Elijah to go to a particular town so that his life can intersect with the life of a widow who has a need. In 1 Kings 17 verse 9, he tells Elijah, the Lord tells Elijah, Go at once to this town that starts with a Z that I can't pronounce in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to the Z town, and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her, and he asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so my, I might have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called again, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. And the widow replies, as surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. She says to Elijah, I'm gathering sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son. And this is what I want you to see because she's accepted her fate so that we may eat it and die. She's resigned herself to believe that nothing can change. This is how it is. There's nothing I can do about it. So I'm going to prepare our final meal for my son and myself. And we are just 
going to die. They've accepted the situation, which is exactly what some of you may have done when it comes to the things that seem to pass down through your family from generation to generation, is we just accept that this is how it's always going to be. Now, this is the passive approach. The passive approach is just, I'm just going to accept that this is what it is, and I'm just going to do my best to get through life. But others take a more aggressive approach, and so instead of accepting these things, we fight them. We grit our teeth. We try to muscle our way through them. This person says, this won't define me. I'm not going to do I'll do whatever it takes to break this. And so we hear things like this. I'll never be like my dad. I'll never be like my mom. I'm not, I'm not going to follow in their footsteps. I'm not going to be like they are. I want nothing to do with them. And so we fight we resist. We go the other way. But here's what I want you to make sure that you hear this morning. But all of this is done in our own strength. <laughs> we say, we just, we grit our teeth. I'm not going to be an alcoholic. I'm not going to let divorce, de, you know, determine my future. I'm not going to be like this. But we're trying in our own strength. And I just want to remind you today of this verse in Zechariah chapter 4 that simply says this. It's not by might. It's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. There's a story about a really strong man in the Bible by the name of Samson. Samson was literally known for his strength. The Israelites have been slaves to the Philistines for 40 years. And an angel shows up one day to a woman and tells her she's going to have a son. And what the angel says is that this son will lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. But the angel continues and gives some instructions and says, but you need, you're going to become pregnant. You're going to have a son. And, and, and he says this, whose head is never to be touched by a razor. Don't ever cut his hair because the boy is a Nazarene dedicated to God from the womb. Soon this boy is born. His name is Samson. And in Judges chapter 13, verse 24, it tells us the woman gave birth to a boy named Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him. And it says, and the spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. There, there's something happening as, as from a, a young age, as he's dedicated to the Lord, the Spirit of God is stirring in him. And what happens, if you don't know the story, is Samson becomes very strong and God begins to use him in amazing ways. In fact, in Judges 14, 15, and 16, there's at least nine feats of strength that, that you can read about. I, I went back and I reread them this week. And li like the time that a lion rushed him, okay? A actual lion. This is not metaphor. This is a roaring lion rushes Samson. And Judges 14 verse 6 says, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. So he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as you might tear a young goat. I love how the Bible just assumes that we all know how easy it is to tear a young goat, okay? I don't know the last time you've done that. It's been a while for me, um, but I guess it's easy. It's easy to tear a young goat. And, and Samson, just like a young goat, he just ripped a heat, y'all. He ripped a lion apart with his bare hands. Okay, this is a story, you, are, you know it, so you're not, you're not even awed anymore. You're just like, oh, it's Samson. He tore a lion apart with his bare hands. Y'all, the Bible's so fun to read. Or the time that he single-handedly 
fought and killed 30 Philistines. In Judges 14, verse 19, it simply says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, powerfully upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon, and he struck down 30 of their men. Okay, Again, don't just blow past it. This is not a one-on-one fight. It's not a one-on-two fight. It is a one-on-30, and the one guy won. That's pretty epic. Okay, The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he, and he kills these 30 men. Or, that was kind of puny compared to the time that he used the jawbone of a donkey in a fight. Judges 15, 15, finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey. He grabbed it and he struck down a thousand men. So barehandedly, one on 30, but give that boy a jawbone of a donkey and a thousand men with a, y'all, I was hunting one time with my friend Derek, and we found the jawbone of a cow, and uh, the hunting wasn't very good, so we stopped, and we picked it up, and we were out in the middle of this field with the jawbone of a cow, imagining how Samson could kill a thousand men. And I'm telling you, Derek and I came up with some very creative ways to use a jawbone of a donkey, but I was still impressed. I'm just telling you, a thousand men with a jawbone of a donkey. But eventually, you probably know the story, Delilah comes to him and wants to know the source of his strength. Judges 17, she told, so he told her everything. He says, no razor has ever been used on my head because I've been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb, which that right there tells me that he understood where his power came from, right? In that moment, he's telling Delilah the truth. He's not saying, well, it's because of my workout regimen, it's because of the creatine, my pre-workout, right? It's because I CrossFit. It's because I'm marathoning. No, no, no. He says, it's because I've been a Nazarene dedicated to God since before I was born. He says, if my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I'd become weak as any other man. And when Delilah, she realized he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more. He's told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with silver in their hands. They're paying her off. After putting her, uh, him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair, which lesson there, if you're dating someone, never go to sleep in their lap. I'm just telling you, it's not going to go to good places. <clears throat> and his strength left him. His strength left him. She called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and he thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. This is the saddest part, in my opinion, of Samson's story. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. He woke up like every other time, ready to go to fight. He was created to fight. He was destined to fight. The, the prophecy over him is that he would lead the people of God out of captivity from the Philistines. And he wakes up and he says, I'm going to go to fight just like I always have. But he didn't know that the Lord had left him. So Samson forgot where his strength came from. And I hate to break it to you today, but when it comes to this idea of generational dysfunction being passed down from one to the next. I just want you to know today, you are not strong enough. 
I'm, I just want to, I want to, I want to, I, I admire if you're in this category that says, I'm going to fight this, but I'm begging you, please fight with the Lord, not on your own strength. I'm telling you, the dysfunction will trickle down in the generations, and you don't have the physical, mental, emotional strength to break it on your own. So there's a passive approach, and that doesn't work, and there's an aggressive approach, and that doesn't work. So we're left with the lazy approach, and the lazy approach just says, I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to ignore it. This person says, I don't believe in such a thing as generational sin. I don't believe in such a thing as generational curse. And so I'm just going to ignore it. And, and if, I, if I pretend like it's not there, then it won't affect us, right? It's the person who closes their eyes and just says, if I can't see it, it's not real, right? And they're just going to close their eyes and, and pretend like nothing is happening. If I don't open my eyes, then maybe it won't get to me and to my kids. And the bad news is this. The bad news is that unaddressed sin doesn't get better. It actually gets worse. Unaddressed sin, listen, sin isn't satisfied with just maintaining what it has in your life and in your family. Sin is not okay that it destroyed grandpa's life and dad's life. It now wants your life, your kid's life, and your grandkid's life. Are you following me? Because sin doesn't maintain. Sin actually multiplies. I'll show it to you in a couple of places. I find it quite ironic that the very first sin that we read about in the book of Genesis seems rather innocent because Adam and Eve, they disobey the Lord and their sin is that they ate a piece of fruit, right? Seems kind of innocent. Now, I get it. It's, it's the disobedience that's the sin, but the picture of it is they ate a piece of fruit. The second sin that we see in the Bible is homicide. Are you seeing the escalation? It went from eating fruit, which is to murder. I just want you to see today that sin unaddressed, it escalates. I'll show it to you in another. This is a, this is a great way to see it. Um, you've probably heard of a guy in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, named Abraham. Have you heard of Abraham? He's uh, growing up. I sang a song in kids' church about Father Abraham. Had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham, right? He's a father of the faith. He's, he's written about in, in, in the early uh, part of the Old Testament. He's a man of God, an incredible man of God. He obeyed God. He, uh, in one story, he went to sacrifice his son, and, and uh, he was all the way to putting his son on the sacrifice. He had his knife in the air and the Lord stopped him and he provided a ram miraculously. Like, like he's, he's incredible. He's, he's prophesied that he'll be a father to nations. At 99 years old, God visits, at, at that time his name is Abram and changes his name to Abraham. On multiple occasions, we read how he's, he's visited by angels and in the Bible, he's literally called a friend of God. So I'm just trying to just point out, pretty cool dude, right? Pretty good dude. But he's not perfect, which, by the way, none of us are. We're human. We make mistakes. None of us are perfect. Abraham makes some mistakes. He had an issue that he wouldn't address. He wouldn't confront, and it grew. And because it grew, what I want you to see is that it ends up being passed down 
generationally. We see on two separate occasions, uh, Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 20, that Abraham makes a decision to lie. I'm going to read it to you. Genesis 12, verse 10. There was a famine in the land, and Abram, because God hasn't changed his name yet, Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. And as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. Okay, He's being a good husband right there. He's complimenting her. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. And then, he's being selfish here, they will kill me and keep you alive. So I want us to say that you're my sister, and and that way I'll be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared. And that's what happens. They go in, they're like, oh, Sarai's beautiful. Like, oh, she's my sister. And they're like, okay, keep him alive. Keep her alive. And then the king finds out. The, the Lord reveals to the king. The king finds out. And he's mad at Abram like, why? Why didn't you tell me the truth? So you would think that Abram learned his lesson. Genesis chapter 20, a couple, eight chapters later. Now Abraham, same guy, God has now visited him, changed his name, moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. And for a while he stayed in Gerar. And there Abraham said again of his wife Sarah, same woman, first time it was Sarai, God changed her name as well. Abraham said of Sarah, she is my sister. It's this little lie that just is continuing in his life. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. And the same thing happens. The Lord reveals to the king. And the king says, Abraham, why did you do this? You're trying to bring a curse on our land. So two different times we see this in Abraham. And I just got to take a side note. And I got to talk to parents for a second. And I say, parents, pay special attention because this is textbook what happened happens when we ignore the generational things in our lives that need to be dealt with. It's my conviction that if we will deal with the things in our life, in our generation, then our children will not have to have the same battles that we have. I believe, I ask this question, can a family tree be changed? And my answer is, I believe that because of Jesus, that because of the gospel, that because of the cross, that a family tree can be changed. And I'll just say it, say it this way, whatever your parents or grandparents battled, you have the ability in Christ to disrupt that cycle and to create a whole new family tree. And what we see in Abraham is he does not do that. He does not do that. So Abraham's uh, son, if you keep reading in Genesis, he has a son. His name is Isaac. And ironically, Isaac has the same problem in the same city with the same king. Genesis 26, so Isaac stayed in Gerar, and when the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, this is Isaac now, she is my sister, because he was afraid to say, she's my wife. He thought, the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah, because she is beautiful. So a bunch of things are being passed from Abraham to Isaac, okay? He obviously chose um, a beautiful wife, right? He figured out. What a beautiful, how to, how to find a beautiful wife, right? That's not a bad thing. He also learned how to be a liar, right? He literally learned the same exact lie from his father, Abraham. And he says to the king, she is my sister. Please pay attention because the next generation is watching. Whether you know it 
or you don't. The next generation is listening, they're watching, they're paying attention to how we live our lives. And the sad part is the story doesn't stop there. Abraham has Isaac, Isaac then has twins, Esau and Jacob. In Genesis 25, it says about Esau and Jacob, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. heel. So his name is Jacob. And Jacob actually means he grasps the heel, which is a Hebrew idiom for he deceives. So you have Abraham the liar, has Isaac the liar. Isaac has Jacob. His name literally is deceiver. (laughs) Are you seeing the generational curse being passed down from generation to generation? And soon we read about how Jacob lies to his father to get the blessing. And what we're really seeing here is just a vicious cycle that we still see happening in the world today that one generation won't deal with their issues and they just pass it on to the next generation and to the next and to the next. So what should we do? I'm so glad you asked me that. We don't accept it. We don't fight it. We don't ignore it. Here's the answer. You need to be born again. You need to be born again. In other words, you inherited some genes from mommy and daddy, and they're bad, and you need new genes. That's what I'm telling you. You need some new genetics. Now, to be fair, most of my focus today is on the bad things that are passed down. And I will say, I have plenty of good things that have been passed down, and many of you do as well. So just just take it for what it's worth that I'm focusing on the negative things that we pass down generationally. When you hear me say this, you need some new genes. Well, how do you get your genes? You get them from your mom and dad when you're born. And so the answer is, you need to be born again. In John chapter 3, there's a Pharisee named Nicodemus. He's a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he comes to Jesus one night and he says this, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher that has come from God. No one could perform the signs that you're doing if God were not with him. And Jesus said, very truly I tell you, no one will see the kingdom of God unless, here it is, they are born again. And Nicodemus is a pretty smart cat, and so he looks at Jesus, he thinks for a minute, and he says to Jesus, how can someone be born again if they're old? He's, he's trying to figure this out. He's like, Jesus, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm a full-grown man at this point. How do I go back inside of my mother's womb to be born again? I don't think that will work. I don't think I'll fit. I I don't think mom would like that. I think, right? He's like, he's trying to figure out what, Jesus, what in the world are you talking about? So he says, how can someone be born when they're old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And so Jesus responds, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and of spirit. Okay, of water is a physical birth, right? Um, if you've been around a, a, a mom just before she gives birth, something happens, they call it the water breaks, right? That's what Jesus is talking about. You gotta be born naturally, right, of water and of spirit. And then he gives us this truth in verse six. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to to spirit. And what he's saying here is, you were born of water, but now you need to be be born of spirit, because spirit gives birth to spirit. You need to be born again. So the good news today is simply this, 
that the gospel provides the chance for you and I to have a whole new family tree. We started with this idea, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, but Jesus, but the cross, but what was accomplished on that cross. Now there's a chance for you and I to be born again and for there to be a whole new family tree. This is the verse I mentioned at baptism, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The old patterns, the old ways, the old sin, the old generational junk, it's gone and the new is now here. Why don't you stand with me this morning? We had a lot to do today. But don't miss what the Lord wants to do in these final moments. Because some of you, if you assess your life, you've, you've got some things that, I mean, it just wouldn't take you any time at all to look back and to see the dysfunction that has passed down from one generation to the next. And let me just encourage you today at whatever age you are, whatever stage you are, that because of the gospel that there is a power afforded to us to transform our lives and to create a whole new family tree. Listen, if you're, if you're doing it right, if you're living for the Lord and you're doing it right, then wherever you finish becomes the starting line for the next generation. My, uh, my dad took Mercy out to lunch. My, my mom and my dad took her out to lunch last week and, um, and they, just, they just talked to her and checked in. She, she made it home from, from college and they just wanted to check in on her and see how she was doing. And, and at the end of the lunch, was, Mercy called me the day before and she's like, why did Grandma and Pops want to take me to lunch? I, 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 do I need to be worried? I'm like, no, you don't, they're your grandparents. You don't need to be worried. It's going to be all right. And so at the very end, they kind of surprised her and they, they said, hey, Mercy, um, you know, we, we had planned to help you financially with college, but you got so many scholarships, you didn't even need it. And so, so we took that money and we went, we, we put it in a savings bond and, and we have this savings bond and I love this. And if you know my parents, it just matches them. They said, this is for you, but we're not giving it to you yet. <laughs> they said, you have to finish college. And when you finish, you still have to be serving Jesus. And if you're not serving Jesus, I'm taking this back. That's what, that's what Pop said. <laughs> Which I love, by the way. I think we need more of that today. And then they said this. They said, Mercy, you keep doing this. You got three more years of school. We're going to do this every year. And they said, Mercy, our dream has always been that you would graduate debt-free from college. And you're doing that. He said, but now we have a new dream and now we have a dream that we're gonna be able to help you that when you graduate, you're gonna have a, a chunk of money to use as a down payment on a, on a first house. And so she calls me and she tells me all this and later that day I was talking to Mercy. I was talking to Lisa, I'm sorry. I was talking to Lisa and I said, you know, babe, like we had a foot up. I mean, you, her and I, like my parents, her parents, incredible we both had a, we had a different starting line than they had. I said, but can you imagine the starting line that our girls are now going to have? And I'm, listen, to be clear, I'm talking about in every way. Our kids are going to have a different starting line financially. That's the story I just told you. 
right? But they're also going to have a better starting line emotionally and relationally and spiritually and in, and in every way. I'm just that, like, that's the way that it should work. So don't, don't lose sight of that because today I've taken the angle. I've mostly talked about all the negative things. But let me just tell you this. we got to deal with the negative things first. And then you start creating a new family tree where new things are now passed down. It's the, it's the Joshua moment. It's for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. I'm just telling you, when you serve the Lord, there's a much higher probability. It's not 100%, but it's a much higher probability that your children will serve the Lord. And if they serve the Lord, it's even higher that your grandchildren will serve the Lord. And it's even much higher that your great-grand... I'm just telling you, that's the way it's supposed to work in the kingdom of God. So today, I know we've done a lot. We've done a whole lot. We've done an awful amount a lot. Even for me, ADHD, it's been a lot. But today, some of you came and you've got some dysfunction. And in most of your cases, I'll just say this, you didn't even start it. You didn't start it. Pass down. But can I tell you something? You might not have started it, but you get to finish it. And so I'm just setting you up because our worship team is going to lead us in one final song and then I'm going to come up and I'm going to ask you, I'm going to say, hey, if you have dysfunction that's been passed down generationally and you're ready to say, today's the day, I'm cutting it off, boom, done. We're creating a new family tree. And we're, just, we're going to deal with it. And today, the apple fell. It's not far from the tree. And today, the Lord picks that up and he says, I'm bringing you over here. I'm going to plant you in a new place. There's going to be a whole new family tree that's going to be created for generations to come. You excited about that? All right, worship team, would you come? Lead us in worship, and then we're going to pray. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Fellowship Podcast. For more information, visit harvestabq.org.